Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chelsea, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming into your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I am Jackie from Houston, and I have Rahul here from Connecticut. And I am so excited to finally have power back, my friend. And I am excited to have you back, my friend. It was a tough, tough week with no water, no heat, no electricity. We had no access to the outside world because we lost all cell phone coverage and everything. But maybe good news or bad news, I did get to catch the game. Good news because the game we played when all this was happening was against Newcastle. So that was a good one to catch. The Southampton, not so much. But uh, just before we move on, the whole situation was very, very disturbing to see from the outside. So I can't even imagine what you guys went through. But I'm glad you and everyone in your house are doing well and safe. Yeah, thank you for that. And for anyone who doesn't know, we had freezing, freezing temperatures in Houston. We're not used to that. The entire power grid went down for most of Houston and actually other parts of Texas as well. So everybody made do and we're back. And, you know, it's exciting. We're back on this podcast to bring you the latest episode. Absolutely. So why don't we get started with the Newcastle game? Yeah, it's an exciting one. We beat Newcastle 2-0 right off the bat. And something I'll say, a quick observation is Newcastle didn't really look like they were going to get going at any point in time. So relatively easy for us. And my main man, Olivier Giroud, coming up with the first goal. And a little bit of an issue there with Tammy Abraham coming off with an injury, Olivier Giroud coming in, and he always delivers or seems to deliver when coming off the bench. He does. He's that super sub that you can always call on and expect him to at least assist, if not score a goal for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And good for Tammy. He didn't have a serious injury. It's just something that affected him in the game. And he was back and ready to go for the next game. And we need to talk about Timo Werner. This man has got his goal after several games struggling. What are your thoughts on him? He was superb, not just in the Newcastle game, even the game before against Sheffield United. He won the penalty. He assisted in that game. He carried that form over into the Newcastle game. He played a huge role in the Giroud goal and then scores himself. So, you know, all that hard, hard times he spent the last few weeks, months paid off and deservedly so. Absolutely. He was rewarded and you could tell that he was extremely happy to get that weight of not scoring a goal for several games off his shoulders, especially when there was a bit of a question whether it was a goal or not. And VAR finally ruled it as, yes, it was a goal. You could see him scream in excitement and the biggest smile I've seen on his face in a long, long time. So super excited for him. Yeah, that was that was the best moment for me from that game was just seeing him smile and excited that, you know, my hard work has finally paid off and I've gotten that goal. Yeah, so typically for these reviews, we do kind of like a match analysis as far as who played. We won't do the entire thing, but we need to talk about Kepa coming back into goal against Newcastle. And now that means I think he played back-to-back games, if I'm not mistaken, which is interesting. What do you think that means? Is it just rotation or did Mendy do something wrong or is Tuchel feeling out Kepa? I don't know. What what are your thoughts on that? I think it was a smart move from Tuchel. He rewarded Kepa for his brilliant performance against Barnsley. And let's be honest, Kepa kept us in that game. Tammy scored the goal, but... Kepa was the one that made the saves and and made sure that we didn't concede and lose that game or draw that game. So I think it was a good call. And this was the right moment, if there was one, to give Kepa another game 
and in the Premier League in itself. So I think it was a smart move. And initially, I was like, all right, is this now a change towards him and not Mendy? But I think a, a good thing he did was say, Mendy is still my number one. And this is just an opportunity and a reward for Kepa for doing well. I was going to come out and say that, that they did interview him after the match. And he did state that Mendy is still the number one. But I think at some point, Chelsea, even though we don't want to talk about the backroom politics or everything, there's going to be some pressure for Kepa to play in case he can rediscover form and then he can get a loan move out or even sell him. Him sitting on the bench and playing in the lower opposition matches, it's not necessarily good resale value or loan opportunities for the players. So I think it shows he can play multiple games back-to-back. Of course, it was just two. But being solid in both of them is a step in the right direction for him. And potentially, what my hope is, is it just spurs the two goalkeepers to keep competing. That way we know we have two top-class goalkeepers. Now, a lot has been said about Kepa over the years and how poor he was under Frank and all that. But there is a good goalkeeper in there somewhere. And if Tuchel can bring it out, I'm all for it. That's an excellent point. And the good goalkeeper you saw in both games, Barnsley and in Newcastle, where he made good saves. He wasn't just beaten, you know, at the near post or beaten by a weak shot. He did well in the Barnsley game. I think the save was pretty straightforward in that it was at him, but he still made it. And in the Newcastle game, there were two instances. I believe there was one free kick and the second was a header where he sorted his feet very well, which is something we've not seen from Kepa where he kind of, trips over or just doesn't dive at the right time but I think all of that seemed like was in the past and he had cleared his head and you know I was excited to see him perform as was I so really that game Chelsea were kind of an autopilot Newcastle didn't really get going I don't know if there's anything else you want to touch on maybe a man of the match for that game I think Timo Werner does you know that was the right call and I think he did get it at the end anyway yeah, no other player that can get that for me as well. So the one that we really want to talk about and dive into is Southampton versus Chelsea. So why don't we do our typical format here and you take us through the starting lineup? Yeah, so we came into this game, you know, off the back of the win from Newcastle. Southampton had lost four straight games. So we knew it was going to be tough and uh, we'll get to the result. But here's the starting 11. So Mendy back in goal, like we said, Kepa did play, but Mendy is the number one and he's back. Espelacueta, Kurt Zuma for the first time under Tuchel starting in the Premier League, and Rudiger in the defense, Reese James, and Golo Kante, again, another first starter under Tuchel, uh, Kovacic and Alonso in midfield, and then Timo Werner, Mason Mount, and Tammy Abraham up top. So obviously a strong squad as usual. We do have strength in many different positions. Good to see that Tammy wasn't injured and he was able to come back quickly into the squad. Happy for Conte because he, on the opposite side, has been injured. So it's been good to see him come back. And I know Tuchel is a big fan of his. We need to talk a little bit about Kurt Zuma. He seemed to be the first name on the team sheet, or at least one of them under Frank. And initially, when Tuchel came in, Kurt was immediately dropped. Obviously, he was right behind a couple of times when Frank had picked Rudiger. But in this formation, Kurt has not really been selected. We haven't really been given any information whether he's injured or there's something else going on. So is this just rotation or is this a chance for Kurt Zuma to bring himself back into the fold? I think it was rotation and knowing now what we know that Thiago Silva is still injured and out of the Champions League game, I think Christensen is going to play. And so he was rested. He was still on the bench, but he was rested and Zuma 
who's been looking for some more time got the opportunity to play. Okay. Yeah, I think that makes sense. It's just a little bit worrying from my perspective as to what this is going to mean long-term. We do have several center backs and Zuma seems to have been frozen out, but hopefully this was an opportunity for him to get his feet back on the playing field and let Tuchel know he can do a job. But why don't we go through the game a little bit and then we can talk about more things. Yeah, so the first half, we mean, we started off pretty well. Had an early opportunity from Alonso, which should have gone in. But then from that point on was kind of a lot of possession, which is expected under Chelsea, uh, under Tuchel for Chelsea, and even actually under Lampard. But we keep the ball, we do well, we knock it side to side, we'll you know knock it into the wings now that we play those wing backs. But there was really no threat. It just kind of seemed like we were knocking it around and, and hoping to find an opportunity or Timo Werner to win us a penalty or something like that. But nothing, you know, really real opportunity. And credit to Southampton, they matched our system. And again, we've noticed that every time teams match us in this 3-4-2-1, we struggle to create. And again, it happened. Yeah, and it begs the question if we need to see a different formation under Tuchel, maybe when things are not necessarily going our way. It's something where I think he tried it in a couple of games where he switches to a back four and kind of switches things around. And we we do end up looking a little bit better, but I'm wondering if he's sticking to this too much and too long. Of course, it's still early days. I think we've only had six or seven games under Tuchel. So he still needs time to perfect what he's trying to bring to the team. But it's one of those things where I, I complained about this under Frank where what is the second game plan or plan B probably is a better way to describe it. And I just didn't see anything along those lines for this particular game. I didn't either. I mean, defensively, we've been solid under Tuchel. I think in the time that he's been here about a month now, we've only conceded 1.7 shots on target on our goal, which is the lowest in the league since Tuchel's come in. So defensively, we've been solid. The goal we conceded against Southampton was the first time an opposition player scored against us. So We've been doing well on the defensive side, but I think on the offense, we haven't scored more than two goals in seven, six or seven games, like you said. The last time we scored more than two was against Luton Town in Lampard's last game. So that's been an issue, and it continued to be an issue because we didn't find a winner in this game. And honestly, it's yes, we have been better defensively, but it's also credit to the formation. So I don't want to get too ahead of myself and say Tuchel's done an amazing job, but but yes, he has done an amazing job, but it's credit to the formation. Whenever you play a back three and two quote-unquote defensive midfielders in Kante and whoever he's paired with, with, whether it's Jorginho or Kovacic, and then wing backs, which right now he's playing Reese, who's more traditionally a right back, and Alonso, who could be a left back, you really are set up to be defensive. So from that sense, it makes perfect sense that this is going to be less goals conceded. But, of course, now you have to go back and figure out what's going to happen attacking-wise. Are we short up front? We do have a whole array of attacking, attacking players, and it just doesn't seem to be coming together. But let's talk through the first goal because a gentleman that's now back into the fold, he seemed to lose his bearings when the ball was played through. And I'm talking about Kurt Zuma over here. Simple ball straight to him. It went into, I think it was Minamoto who collected the ball and kind of spun off Kurt very, very easily. Yeah, Minamino and... It was right down the middle, like you said. Uh, Redmond plays it into Minamino, which was an inch-perfect pass. So credit to them for that. And 
Minamino again goes right through the middle and even though Escalacuera and Mendy try to stop him, he's calm and composed enough to fake it and then put it uh, into the net. Great finish though, I must say, because it was, yeah. I think the word you chose with composure is perfect. He just took a pause, took a breath, waited for us to make a decision in the case of Mendy and Aspilicueta diving. And he was like, okay, now I have an empty net, which he, he really did. He just slotted into an empty net, but uh, all credit to the pass, all credit to Mina, Mina, Mon, Mina, sorry, I'm struggling here. <laughs> Mina Mino. Thank you very much. I'm not very good with these names, but all credit to him. But of course we have to do better defensively. We just talked about, we've not conceded goals, three at the back, two defensive. It was too easy. It was too easy. And I almost wonder if with Zuma coming in, not playing for several games, that match fitness or that match sharpness wasn't necessarily there. So I'll let him have that because under Frank Lampard and the four that we played, he was really, really good. In fact, we saw a completely different Kurzuma that we saw under Jose Mourinho in like 2015, which was exciting to see. And he's kind of lost that a little bit. So I hope this doesn't become a strike against him. It's just one of those things where, hey, keep your head in the game and keep focused and go from there. Yeah, I agree. You think what you said was right. You know, he hasn't played much and this could just be an effect of that. And he may have felt he had to cover for Rudiger who had gone drifted a, a, a little further to the left, but credit to Minamino and, you know, picking that spot to run through and, and finishing it. The other thing with Zuma, I was thinking was he, for me, isn't very good with the ball. He's not a ball playing center mm-hmm. defender. Right. We have that in Christensen. We have that in Silva. And since those two weren't playing, and Zuma played that center position. I don't think he's suited for that role. He'd be better off on either side, either sure. on the left or the right. So I think that also contributed to to that goal. But that was the only shot on goal. Yeah, I was going to actually say that that was the only opportunity. So we need to do better. But we did. Because overall, we didn't really allow them to have any more opportunities. Obviously, Tuchel's going to be frustrated because the one opportunity they had ended up being a goal. But I think overall, defensively, we've said this, you've said this, we're looking solid. It's now looking at the opposite end of the field where we didn't really have a lot of opportunity in the first half, I must say. And I was pleased that he made a change at halftime with the change being Tammy coming off for Callum Hudson-Odoi, which it's a good change because you're taking off your more stagnant, not that Tammy was, but more of a stagnant center forward who's going to sit up front and go with a little more pace to try and get in behind Southampton. So with Callum coming on, probably he was hoping to get some pace and speed and bring some energy to the team. Yeah, you're you're spot on. And his frustrations were seen throughout that first half. I don't think I've seen him that animated and maybe since the first or second game. So he wasn't happy and made the sub at halftime, like you said. And I was excited to see Hudson Odoi come on because he's been very good under Tucho. Mm-hmm. But Apart from that sub, he also, you know, instructed them to be a little faster, be a little more urgent with your passing, not take too many touches. And all of that was seen at least in the first 15 minutes of the second half. Mm-hmm. And within that time frame, we got the goal from the penalty spot, obviously. But that comes from the quick movement and getting players into the box and a sharp turn from Mount, which catches Danny Ings and puts in a typical striker uh, tackle. yeah I was actually going to touch on that as well but just to roll back to what you were saying with what Tuchel had instructed we know this because after the match he stated that's what he wanted from his team was to be faster in the press come back and defend move the ball a little bit quicker and I'm going to touch about the penalty really quickly here 
the penalty was created by Mount in the way that he swiveled away from Danny Ings, obviously. But credit to Hudson Adoy, and I'm saying this name because we're going to touch on that in just a second. Credit to Hudson Adoy for playing it back to Mount, finding him in space, and then Mount winning the penalty. And of course, Mount steps up himself. You know, he has been probably one of, if not the best player in a Chelsea shirt this season. The confidence flowing through that man and probably just the leadership qualities to stand up and you know take a penalty. We've got mature players on the field in, in the fact that Kovacic was on there himself, who was a good penalty taker. You've got Alonso, you've got Timo Werner, who is naturally a striker, but he stepped up, didn't miss a beat, and scores. Now, I don't want to take anything away from Mason because I think he was brilliant, but now we need to jump onto the player who assisted Mason. And when I say assisted, obviously getting the pass to find him space. Take us through what you think happened there. Just to touch on Mason real quick. I think this season we're seeing a different version of Mason Mount. And that's because of the leadership and the potential that he's showing to carry his team back into a game, carry them forward. Apart from that goal, he was instrumental in everything that we did in that second half. Yeah, he did not miss a beat, honestly. I think he he even nutmegged a player at one point, which was exciting to see. Like he's got that bag of tricks in his in his back pocket. Absolutely. For a second, I'm sure Tuchel was like, Am I watching Neymar playing for me? (laughs) But no, Mount was was great in that second half and deservedly so got a goal. But coming to the player we're talking about, Hudson Adoy, I personally don't think he was as bad as Tuchel made out in the in the at the end of the game. The post matchup. Yeah. And by subbing him off to prove that he just was lazy, wasn't doing what he was asked to. I mean, was he exceptional? No, but nobody was. He wasn't bad. I mean, long story short, the player was not bad. And of course we're expecting them to be quality, but you and I watch these games with a lot of analysis in our mind, because not only do we enjoy that aspect of it, but we also want to talk about it on this podcast. We sat back and, of course, everybody know, who knows us and we talk about it in the podcast, we text back and forth about this. I don't remember complaining about Callum at any point when he came on till he went off. In fact, when he went off, I sent you a message saying, injured? Question mark Because it was surprising to me. Now, Tuchel gets paid the big bucks. He's an experienced manager. Maybe he sees something we're not seeing. But from my perspective, as a fan, I don't like to see that. I didn't think it made any sense. Now, we've talked a lot about man management and managing a game and how he's going to be great for Hudson Adoy. But where someone needs to show me where he put a foot wrong. Okay, he didn't press the ball fast enough. Who else pressed the ball faster than him? I could not see it. And I was, I for one was shocked when I found out it was not an injury. It was a tactical change based on the fact that he was frustrated with his gameplay. It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to me either. And like you said, Tucho gets paid the big bucks and he knows what he's doing beyond just this one game. It may be more of a motivation tactic. But for a guy that's featured heavily under Tucho, I don't think Hudson Adore is lacking motivation. Not at all. Not at all. And so he, like we said, he assisted or he was contributed to the penalty. On the other side, he almost laid it off to Timo Werner to score a second goal. And if he does that, He's heavily involved in both goals. What more can you ask from a halftime substitution? 
And I get the motivation piece of things. There are ways to motivate a player, but really, if you're going to bring a guy on at the 45th minute and take him off in the 75th minute or whatever it was, at that point, you're sparing him 15 minutes. I really don't know where the motivation, to me personally, if I'm doing my job and someone pulls me off when a player knows when they're playing well and a player knows when they're playing poorly and a player knows when they're doing okay. So in his head, Callum will say, I'm doing okay. I'm not having the best game of blinder, but I'm doing okay. So when you pull me off when I could potentially contribute when we're one, one, it wasn't like we were four nail up. We were one, one. And who did he come? Who came on for him was like, Kovacic, yeah. yeah. So it didn't make sense to take him off at that point in time. I think from a motivation perspective, you can do more harm to a player's confidence at that age than good. Now, if Chelsea were winning or drawing even 1-1 and we had a red card and you had to sacrifice somebody, I'm sure, I'm sure he would understand that. But we were we were trying to win the game and you took off somebody with extreme pace. I, This is the part where I go, switch up the tactics. You can move him to a wing back if you still want to stick with your formation because I didn't see Alonso or Reese doing anything you know, way better than he was. So switch him to a wing back or be brave, switch it to a four at the back and go and put, you know, Callum on the wing, bring in another striker, whatever you want to choose, switch it up. But just to, to punish for lack of, I know he doesn't say it this way, but just to punish him, it, it, it didn't sit well with me. It, it didn't sit well with me and it hasn't up until now. And I don't think it will unless Hudson Adoy, you know, takes this in his stride, which I'm not saying he won't, but if I'm Hudson Adoy, I've come on at halftime. I'm looking around the field and I'm seeing, apart from Mason Mount, no one is doing great. Alonso, who was four or five out of 10 all game, gets to play 90 minutes. But Hudson Adoy, who comes on and was actually at that point in the 75th, 76th minute, starting to do more finding more space, running in behind, stretching their defense, opening up space for our midfielders to run into. For him to be like, well, I'm going off now because I wasn't playing well enough. It's just baffling. It's It's the Yeah, it's the craziest thing. And for Tuchel's side, okay, you want to stamp your authority on this team and you want to say, I'm the boss. And if you're not up to the standards, you're going to get subbed. But do that with the other guys. This... Honestly, we've watched many games about uh, under Tuchel now, and many obviously still a handful. I have seen millions of players in these in these few games run by Jorginho like he doesn't exist, and I have never once seen Jorginho taken off the pitch. And, and I'm just singling him out because it's the first name that pops to my head. We've seen Timo Werner struggle, and he's played 90 minutes upon 90 minutes upon 90 minutes. I'm not trying to single out any of these guys, just like I'm not trying to single out Callum and say he had a poor game. But you, you need to be fair across the board. And maybe maybe I'm a bleeding heart. Fair is not there for people who are making $100,000 a week. But what are you going to do? Burn his confidence to the ground and then and then do what? Now, flip side, okay, he may come back and say, I'm going to take this in my stride and be strong, which will be great. But what is what message is this sending to the other players? Like, if the tactics are to do 10 things and I do nine things right, but I didn't do one thing right, you're going to send bring me off. You're always going to have fear. You're not going to be able to play with that freedom and confidence. But, you know, hopefully he had a little conversation with him after the game, had a little word in his ear. That's the man management piece and saying, this means nothing for your career. 
just today you frustrated me and so let's get over it and move move forward to the next game hopefully that's something that happened i agree and you know we're not even discussing the tammy substitution because we know tammy wasn't good enough right and he got a full 45 minutes to show what he could do and i think we can both sit here and the listeners and chelsea fans out there can sit there and say Hudson Adoy was way better in 30 minutes than Tammy Abraham was. I agree with you. 100% so agree with you. Their substitution was not justified. And then for Te- for Hudson Adoy to sit on the bench again for the last 15, 20 minutes and watch ZH do absolutely nothing must be so frustrating because ZH, let's be honest, has the talent, has the potential, but hasn't shown it for months now. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Injury, out of form, whatever you want to say doesn't fit into the system, comes on and does nothing when we could have probably won the game if Hudson Odoi was still on the field. So that for me is frustrating. And I don't want to go too far and say, you know, this is a defining moment in the Tuchel era. But some of these young guys, a Tammy Abraham, a Hudson Odoi, are just like we give our all every game and then we get substituted or we're getting pulled off versus some of these senior guys who you called out. Timo Werner wasn't the best in the Southampton game. And if he was subbed off in the 75th, 76th minute, I don't think we would have been like, why is he getting subbed off? Right. Especially when you're trying to win the game. You want to keep your fittest and your fastest players on there. So when I say fittest, no disrespect because Timo is very, very fast but he has played a lot of football. If you're going to take somebody off, you can take him off and bring Ziyech on because we know he wants to play the false nine. He's done it many, many times. I don't know without us going on a rant here on and on and on. Maybe it's something we just look look forward to and see that he. It, if it becomes a repeat trend, there's something weird going on there. But if it doesn't, it's one to just put to the side and hopefully, hopefully, hopefully takes it in his stride and can you know become a better player from it. Yeah, and it comes down to the conversation that you were mentioning. Definitely at the ed- end of that game in the locker room, but then the next day at the training ground to say, this is what we, this is why I brought you off. Here's the video evidence, and this is what I expect you to do better because my standards from you are way higher than what you showed me. Right. All right, fine. But the time will only tell, and, and for now, I'm still not sure of how it went down, but we'll see what happens. So I have one more rant for you that I want to, and maybe not a rant, but a good discussion point is Tuchel started to pick players now based on performance, not necessarily on their, you know, caliber or what the history brings. Giroud came on in the last game against Newcastle, performed pretty well, in my opinion, scored a goal like he does. And Tammy came off with an injury like we've covered, but Tammy gets selected again. It's an interesting selection in my opinion. And a lot of fans who listen to this will say I'm a Giroud fanboy or, or whatnot, and that's fine. I think what I'm trying to say is we're picking on merit here. And Tammy didn't perform well. Yes, he got injured, and Giroud did perform well and was probably better on form based on that last game. Why do you think he went with Tammy? The only reason I can think of is Giroud may be rested for the Champions League game. But yeah, I don't. I thought Giroud may start and would, you know, deserve it based on his performance from Newcastle. But again, Tammy Abraham went off injured, so it wasn't that he didn't play well. He just didn't have the opportunity to play in that game. So 
Giroud played, what, 60, 70 minutes. Tammy played 30, 20, 30 minutes. So maybe based just on, on that in terms of resting and fitness, he went with one of, with Tammy versus him. But again, Giroud didn't feature at all. At all. So, <laughs> okay, you're resting him or you, you didn't think he was the right person to start. But I don't know. I, he could have done a job and maybe nicked a goal off a header or occupied a defender and, and played someone else in. So I don't know. It's weird. But with a lot of games coming, we're going to see rotation and we're going to see players rested. And hopefully that was the case and it was nothing else more than that. Yeah, I think it's easy as fans to sit here and complain. So it's just a discussion point. Hopefully we will see more of Tuchel's preferred 11 start to evolve. And then hopefully players are picked on merit. It's just now everybody's coming back into full fitness. So I'm going to be excited to see how that plays out. Now, I do have one last thing before we move on. I watched a Tuchel interview where he was asked a simple question about his job. I don't know if you saw this particular interview. It was a very interesting one where a journalist asked him if his primary job here was to get these expensive attacking players firing on all cylinders. I'm rephrasing a little bit here, but essentially Chelsea has spent a lot in the market, specifically in the front line, is his job to get them firing on cylinders. And I do like the way Tuchel answers these questions because it's pretty brutal. It's pretty honest. It's very straightforward. Is My job is not to get expensive guys to play good football. My job is to win football matches. And I love that because it puts all of the questions to the side saying, I don't care if you're one pound worth. I don't care if you're from the Cobham Youth Academy. I don't care if you're a hundred million player. I'm going to pick the best players that are going to win the game for me. And so I hope that means that we're going to go forward with this and pick the best starting 11. I hope so. And that's what, that's all we can ask for. But I think at the expense of going on and on about Chelsea, just to touch on Southampton and one player in specific that we spoke about a few months ago uh, is the Ghanaian international Mohamed Salisu, who finally made his Premier League debut. I'm so excited. I think he performed really, really well. In fact, you and I had picked him as one of our quote-unquote worst signings for the Premier League summer transfer window. And we didn't pick him based on any performance, to be very honest with you. We picked him on the fact that they spent 10 or 12 million pounds on him and he hadn't made an appearance. But he did look very, very good in that back lineup. So I'm looking to see a lot more of him going forward in the Premier League. Same here. He looked good. And even though he stopped us from winning the game, uh, as people, as, as guys who grew up in Ghana, it was good to see a Ghanaian player in the Premier League. So wishing him the best for the rest of the season. Uh, and coming back to this game, just before we wrap up, we like to talk about our man of the match, but I think there's only one person that we can pick from, and that's got to be Mason Mount. Mason Money Mount. Yep, came up with the goods. He did. So that was the Chelsea game, 1-1 draw and. uh at that moment on Saturday morning, we still held on to our top four position, but going into some of the other games from the weekend now, uh, we'll talk about starting with Liverpool versus Everton. And I see you shaking your head. Uh, we didn't get to do a, a preview for the score, but I don't think either one would, of us would have called a 2-0 Everton win. I wouldn't have called an Everton win, period. I, I don't know... Yes, Liverpool are struggling tremendously with injuries. I'll be the first guy to say every time a player steps up on the field, somebody comes off with an injury, which is it's devastating to see. 
but I still think they have the quality to at least pinch a draw with the, uh, maybe I'm off, but they had gone on this incredible unbeaten run and now they can't seem to string a win. I mean, you could throw them a win and they couldn't catch it at this point. It's something's, something's off. There's a lot of things that are going wrong other than injuries. Obviously we spoke about Jurgen Klopp's mom had passed away and he's not in the right frame of mind, but something just doesn't seem to be right at Liverpool. I, I, I don't know what else to say, my friend. You're, you're spot on. And it's now been four straight home losses. Unbelievable. And I know their fans play a massive role in you know their home games, but they've been doing okay without them for most of the season and, and towards the end of last season. But suddenly something's just gone off. People have figured out their tactics, stopped their wingbacks, and you can basically stop the whole attack from happening. And then they're making defensive mistakes. Yes, they have defensive injuries. But like you said, they've still got enough midfield onwards to at least nick a goal or a point or, you know, scrape a win out. But they just seem to do the same things over and over again. It's like we're going to play our heavy metal football and it doesn't matter who's in defense. We're just going to do the same thing over and over again and expect a win, which doesn't work that way. And Maybe to be fair to Liverpool, the last three fixtures have been a little bit difficult with Everton. It's a Merseyside derby, but they haven't won there in God knows how long. And they really, really put the sword to them. Obviously, before that, it was against Leicester, who who are flying and are in in good form, 3-1. And then before that, Manchester City really tore them apart, 4-1. And then Burnley, was sorry, Brighton was the first one that really threw a red flag. But I think what's surprising is no goal again against Brighton, one against Man City, one against Leicester, and then none against Everton. Liverpool are usually a free-flowing, free-scoring side. So putting your defensive issues aside, against Man City, maybe you could score two, three goals and make it a competition. Against Brighton, no goals. Against Everton, no goals. It's, it's, something's not right. That's, it's the easiest way to say that something's not clicking. You can't say it's just defensive injuries. Yes, you can lose games. But the fact that that front three is not scoring goals, I don't know what's gone wrong. I really don't know what's gone wrong. It seemed to happen in January, and hopefully somebody else can get to the bottom of it. I hope it's not until after our game with them next week. <laughs> <laughs> because their next home game is against us. And right. so I'm sure... For some reason, Chelsea will be very uh, in a giving mood and hopefully <laughs> not give them an end to this run at home. But yeah, that was that was a good win for Everton on the flip side. Carlo Ancelotti came and gave his guys the belief that this Liverpool team is hurting and you can pile on that misery. And they did. And you know what's interesting is Everton have a game in hand. And if they win that game in hand, they're actually going to surpass Liverpool, who were sitting top of the league a few months ago. So what a crazy season indeed. Absolutely. On the flip side, at the other end of the table, and just touching real quickly on this, is the Fulham-Sheffield game. And Fulham win 1-0, a goal from Lookman, and vital three points in this relegation scrap because now they're dragging in Newcastle, Brighton, and themselves for that I think the final, you know, relegation spot. I like Fulham. I think they play some good football, not early on in the season, but something on the opposite side, like you said, to Liverpool has clicked and they seem to be coming together as a team. 
I think they might be able to get out of this one. It's going to be an interesting watch towards the end of the season. They are playing some good football. They just signed a young striker in Maja, and he scored two goals a few games ago, and they're looking good. So I will be watching that end of the table, you know, biting my fingernails to see if they can get out. Yeah, it's going to be exciting down there. Uh, I'm going to skip over this next game because it involves our, our favorite manager, Jose Mourinho. But moving on to the next one is Arsenal versus Manchester City. And Manchester City win, but only by one goal. And it was a one nothing win. So uh, that was surprising. And the other surprising thing was Raheem Sterling popping up in the middle of the box with a header to score the goal. Somebody needs to give a big smack to, smack to Rob Holding because I think Raheem Sterling is like five foot one and Rob Holding is like six foot one or six foot two. So it's a shocker. I think it was a defensive issue where he just didn't count him in or he'd lost focus or whatnot. But credit to Sterling. I think what I want to talk about is yes, the game was just one nil, but I don't think Manchester City players ran. I don't think they got out of first gear. I think they were having a picnic in the corner. I mean, honestly, it was. It was what we've talked about of Manchester City of old, probably a few seasons ago, which was a well-oiled machine. They just started up the machine and no one moved out of second, first gear. I mean, it was so professional from start to finish. It's almost like if we want to score, we will, but we're just going to knock it about and just play our football. We don't care. And it was, it was a lovely game to watch in that aspect is a lot of people were praising Arsenal and, and Arteta and to some degree, yes. He's got to get some credit, but really, I think if City wanted to change their tactics, it would just go right off and they could really destroy Arsenal there. You're 100% spot on. It was once they got their goal in the second minute, City always had the threat to score more, but they knew we just got to keep a clean sheet and we win. And they've done clean sheets for fun this season. Yeah, I think they had their eye on the Champions League, maybe. So everybody was like, we can do this professionally without getting injured, without getting a card, whatever the case may be. Obviously, it doesn't affect Champions League, but their eyes were there. But the way they did this so professionally with is get the win, control the game, and then let's focus on the next competition. Absolutely. And the key thing for them was they gave Kevin De Bruyne a good run out, which, you know, like we say, you can play in training and do whatever you want, but playing in a match is different. And so he got some match time. Your favorite player, Gungodan, who missed the last game, got some match time. And, you know, I think it was it was a good result for City, but also just getting their players not injured and keeping them fit for the Champions League was was a great thing for them as well. So, so how 18, many wins in the row do they have now? I was just about to say 18 straight wins for them. Incredible. Really, really is incredible. And here we were in November talking about issues with Pep Guardiola and stuff, <laughs> but, man, he's fixed it and... I heard somewhere he's only the second manager after Sir Alex Ferguson to partially rebuild a team and then get them back up to the top again, challenging for a title. So kudos to him and Man City and believing him and believing in him. Yeah, he's a top manager and I wish them all the best. Absolutely. So talking about another top manager and this one is having an, uh, an opposite season to Pep Guardiola where he was doing well in the beginning and now it's just gone south and Spurs have lost five of their last six Premier League games. So Jose Mourinho's Spurs lose 2-1 to West Ham United. I want to say I'm surprised, but I really am not because I think 
credit to West Ham. I think they are a good team, not made up of individuals necessarily, and there's no disrespect to any single player, but they really play for each other. And David Moyes got a lot of flack at Manchester United for things he was trying to do. And I think at West Ham, he's showing us what he can do. And the fact that now they sit fourth. West Ham United sit fourth in the Premier League with multiple wins. And they, they have a big test upcoming, by the way, West Ham against Manchester City. I personally don't think they're going to win that game. But wouldn't it be something amazing to see West Ham United pull up something against Manchester City? It'd be incredible. But obviously, on the flip side, Jose Mourinho... I, Something needs to change tactically over there. It, forget Liverpool, what we can't understand. Jose's tactics seem to be outdated at this point in time. They don't complement the Tottenham players coming from Mauricio Pochettino's style of free-flowing and attacking. Yes, you flipped it. It works for a little bit, but it seems like they're bored and they're tired of it at this point. And that's weird because that usually happens in the third or even closer to the end of the third season, but this is just the second season. And first full season for him at Spurs. So that's concerning for him. And I know, and you know, when things start going bad for him, he gets grumpy, he starts fighting with the media, he'll start calling out players. And now he, the most recent thing was my backroom staff and my methods are second to none. And there's this headline and, and now he's focusing on the Europa League. So I don't know, man, if this doesn't work out for him, I don't know where it goes for him. Maybe a different league, a different job and away from England. But yeah, it's concerning for, for Jose Mourinho and Spurs. But yeah, David Moyes, man, a relegation scrap last season and now going for top four. Wow, it's it's impressive. And he's got players that no other team was even looking at. Suchek. Don't forget Jay Ling's. I was, about to, say, I was about to say Jesse Lingard, who was just sitting on the bench and dancing around the locker room at Manchester United. Jesse Lingard did not make a Premier League appearance the entire first half of the season until he was loaned out to West Ham United. Talk about a player or players that don't have match sharpness coming in and now he's got two goals in two games, I believe, for West Ham United. I don't think it's going to last where he's going to go on scoring every single game, but he's coming up with the goods and it's nice to see David Moyes, like you said, with Suchek and... Jesse Lingard and others that he's brought together that are playing together as a team and really getting along. It's going to be something exciting to see if West Ham United can maintain this, which I hope they can, or maybe I hope they don't so we can pop into the fourth, but they would be going to Europe, which is exciting for a club of that size. Yeah. They're the highest placed London team. Right. So that's, that's crazy in itself. And their owners don't really back them. I mean, their only striker is Antonio. And they sold Haller for about 25 or 30 million. And you you might might have thought, okay, we're going to strengthen the squad. But they kept that in their pockets and West Ham continued to perform. So a massive test coming up for them, like you said, against Manchester City. But don't be surprised if they get a result out of that game. They're they're fighting for each other and you know they're popping up with some goals and surprises. So exciting. Yep. Absolutely. So really quickly, before we move on to Champions League, let's do a quick snapshot of the Premier League table. We've talked about this. It's starting to normalize a little bit. There are a few teams out there in Aston Villa, Everton, Tottenham themselves that do have a couple of games in hand. But I'm just going to do a quick snapshot of the top five. Manchester City in first with 59 points. 
the closest rival to them, Manchester United. So Manchester is doing well in the Premier League, but they are 10 points behind Manchester City. And Ole Gunnar Solskjaer said he's not going to give away the title. That's a bold statement given that they're 10 points behind. In third sit, Leicester City with the same points as Manchester United. Just difference of a couple of goals here or there. West Ham United in fourth with 45 points. And then Chelsea now sitting in fifth from 10th about a month ago. And they are sitting with 43 points. Right behind them is actually a few clubs in Liverpool, Everton, and a couple others going in the chasing pack. Now, the bottom is where it gets interesting. I'm going to cover a few more clubs here. Sheffield United, rock bottom, but now have 11 points on the board. Still don't think they'll get out, but really good kudos to them to keep trying. West Brom, Achavian sitting with 14 points and 19th place. Fulham, who we just talked about, 18th with 22 points. Newcastle United with two losses now sitting in 17th with 25 points. So three points for Fulham and a, and a loss for Newcastle. They get dragged into this. And Brighton with 26 points could also get dragged into this. And Burnley are not too far off either. So it's going to make a very, very interesting relegation scrap. Absolutely. And, and, and an exciting top four scrap as well. So both ends of the table. I know the title, I think we're giving it to Manchester City, but... Between United, like you said, in second, and Chelsea in fifth, there's only six points, and they play each other up this upcoming weekend. So definitely exciting times, and we'll touch on those games in the upcoming weekend later in the week. But I think now let's talk about the Champions League. It is back. What has it been? A few months now since the group stages have been over, and and Chelsea are going to go play Atletico Madrid. But... It is not at their home stadium. The game is being hosted in Romania. Why is that, Rahul? Yeah, so there's COVID protocols in Spain that prevent uh, foreigners coming into the country. And so the game was rescheduled to Romania, and it's called Arena Nacionale or something like that. And that's also the arena where Atletico Madrid won a Europa League title a few years ago. So they're aware and, and have fond memories of this uh, stadium. So should be an interesting game. I think it benefits us a little bit that we're not playing in Spain because Atletico have been absolutely flying at home in La Liga and in Champions League. So I'm glad that it's re- you know it's been moved around. But again... Against an Atletico team, you just don't know. Yeah, and they're sitting top of La Liga right now, right? If I'm not mistaken, I was checking the La Liga table the other day. Yeah, they said top three points clear, I believe, with the game in hand. So, wow, kudos to them. And and they lost Diego Costa. I mean, lost. I mean, they let him go for for free. They canceled his contract, but they're still doing the business. And they lost their most recent game on Saturday against Levante. Uh, so hopefully Tuchel picked up some tactical tweaks and uh, points from that game, but should be an interesting one. And Atletico Madrid have had some good success against English teams. They've been victorious in nine out of their 11 two-legged ties and knockout games, and most recently knocked out Liverpool at this stage last year. Yeah, and we have some bad memories of Atletico Madrid ourselves when we've played them in Europe. I remember uh, a prime Radamel Falcao putting us to a sword in that one of those games. It was ridiculous. They really have a knack for finding strikers. And speaking of strikers, Luis Suarez at the age of 34 
seems to have rediscovered some amazing goal scoring form in the fact that he scored like I think it's a goal every single game at this point in time. I think it's like 14 and 13 appearances or something like that, which is unbelievable for somebody approaching that end of their career. Absolutely. And it shows you that these older guys, even though they may have lost a little bit of pace, you know, they keep themselves fit. And as strikers, you really just need to find the net and they keep doing that in terms of Suarez and in our case, Giroud. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So you touched on the, you know, the number of times we've met them. Our most recent meeting with them was in the knockout, not in the knockout, in the group stages, sorry, in the 17-18 season under Antonio Conte. And we actually won in Spain. If you don't know if you remember that game, but Morata had scored and we nicked it late on. And then in the return fixture at the bridge, we tied 1-1. So we didn't lose to them in that season, which was uh, impressive. But on the flip side, our last meeting with them, the knockout stage was in 2013-14 season under Jose Mourinho. And it was in the semifinals. And I remember it was right after that Liverpool game. I don't know if you remember it. Uh, but yeah, we lost that game. And that was the last time we were in the semifinals. <laughs> and the last time we had progressed beyond the round of 16. Well, it's time for us to go past. So hopefully we can perform in this game and take something away from it. I hope so, my friend. It's been a while since we've been in these latter stages of the Champions League. So hoping for some good luck. And let's talk about the team news. So on the Chelsea side, like we said earlier, no Thiago Silva. He's still out injured due to the muscle injury he picked up in the Spurs game. So hopefully he'll be back later in the in the week, but he misses out. On the other side, Kai Havertz. And a bearded uh, Pulisic, damn it, Pulisic is back. And they've both traveled to Romania. I'll let you have that one because whenever Pulisic grows out his beard to match Giroud, I know you get very excited. (laughs) But no, I'm excited for Pulisic to be back. I'm not so sure about Kai Havertz yet because he's just not been up to, you know, the same scratch level that he's been last season. But I think this is a good game for Pulisic maybe to come off the bench and show what he can do. I agree, and I hope he gets a few minutes, if not the start. Uh, but do you think he goes, he being Tuchel, goes 3-4-2-1? Or, like we saw in the second half of the Barnsley game, a 4-1-4-1 kind of situation where we press them with four guys in attack, and then we have an Angolo Conte kind of cleaning it up if you know they get past that press? I think he's going to stick with the 3-4-2-1 probably to be a little more conservative, especially since we're quote unquote away. I think this is a good time to just kind of play the basics. If any game is to play the basics and try and nick a result or even go for a draw. And then when you're back home, that's the chance to do whatever you need to do to get the win. But I think he's going to stick with that. So keeping that in mind, who do you think the starting lineup will be? I agree. And that's a good point, especially in this away game, even though it's not in Spain, it does count as a home game for Atletico Madrid. Yep. So if we score an away goal, that's essentially two. Exactly. So that that's a great point. I think we start with Mendy. He is our number one. As for Laqueta, Christensen has to play because he's just a little more natural at that, you know, that middle center back position. Rudiger keeps his spot. Uh, Reese James, Jorginho, Kovacic, I think, come back, even though I think he may play Conte to be a little more defensive or just you know have that interception ability Alonso keeps a spot uh 
I think Hudson Adore plays this game just because of the whole controversy on Saturday. Uh, Mason Mount and Timo Werner. Difficult to argue with you overall. If Hudson Adore plays this game, I will be interested to see what the post match conversation looks like. There's going to be a lot of questions around how he feels mentally, why he was selected, all sorts of things. Again, strong lineup. I don't see how you can drop Mount. Interesting fact for you, Aspilicueta, Christensen, and Rudiger were the same back three to play Champions League against Barcelona a few seasons ago in 17-18. So interesting to see that this this pairing or triple threat pairing, whatever you want to call it, have made it several seasons into the future. Well, that that's a good stat. And I remember that game and when Messi nutmegged Thibaut Courtois. <laughs> so hopefully those, you know, we don't or Suarez doesn't remember that and yep. do that again or do that to our defense. <laughs> but yeah, it should be a, a good game, a tactical game. And we know Atletico are defensive and like to keep things tight. So it's going to be scrappy. And I think over the two legs, it's going to come down to, uh, you know, who can do the most damage in attack because both teams seem to be good defensively. Yeah, not to discredit attacking. We just talked about Luis Suarez being in fine goal-scoring form. And the young man that plays for Atletico Madrid, Jao Felix, Jao Felix, he seems to have really found his feet this season as well. He's got a lot of assists, a lot of goals for somebody who I think he's 20 or 21 years old. And he came for big money. So he's now reliving up to that expectation, which has been great. So they have a solid goalkeeper as well. Good midfielders in Koke and things like that. So it's going to make for an exciting game. I like the word you chose, which is tactical. I think Diego Simeone like analyzes games like there's no tomorrow. And from there, I, I'm interested to see what formation he plays and how he basically lines up against us. What do you think the score will be? I think it's tight and ends in a draw, a 1-1, which favors us pretty well and sets us up good for the next leg. I like that prediction. I went for a nil-nil. I think this will be a big test for not only Chelsea, but for Tuchel. I was looking around and all the teams that we've played so far, they're all out of the top eight or below the top eight in the Premier League, if I read that stat correctly. So no disrespect to anybody because the Premier League is a super tough league, but this is probably another level up. And so I want to see how he manages it tactically, but, I'm excited to have Champions League back, my friend. So I'll take a nil-nil. That's that's a good result too, and it just leaves us a little bit open without the away goal. But uh, I trust that we should hopefully get the job done at home. Uh, but there's two other people that feel pretty strongly about this game, and uh, we had put up the uh, a poll on Instagram asking what people felt, and so Adam underscore AB ten and underscore charlie.green underscore both are going for a 2-0 Chelsea win. So I'm loving the confidence and hoping that that actually comes through. Yeah, and I love that they're engaging with us on these questions. It's always nice to get feedback from you guys. So thanks for doing that. Absolutely. And if it comes through, then we'll be coming back to you guys for for future predictions. (laughs) Absolutely there. (laughs) So that's the Champions League game and it should be a fun one. Uh, We'll review it in our upcoming episode later this week but uh, for now let's move on to the women's game the Chelsea women team uh, game I mean and so the last game they played was a 5-0 win against Bristol City so they had beaten Arsenal like we had spoken about in the last episode and now they've 
won again against Bristol City. So they've put that disappointing uh, result against Brighton behind them, which is good to see. Uh, congratulations to Emma Hayes and super Fran Kirby for picking up the Manager of the Month and Player of the Month awards, respectively, which is good to see. And they've also drawn Atletico Madrid in the Champions League, the Women's Champions League version. So the first game for that is on March 3rd. What are the chances that both the men's and the women's team would draw against Atletico Madrid? Hopefully, we can have two wins in the Champions League with both the men's and women's progressing through. But no, I wanted to say one more thing is to see them go on two wins back-to-back after that blip is good because it's something we had talked about a few episodes ago showing that they do have the character to come back from this. So I, for one, am super excited. And it's not just the wins. It's against an Arsenal in a, in a London derby and then a 5 nail thump, you know, thumping of Bristol. So exciting. Exciting indeed. And some more exciting news coming out of the women's camp is Carly Telford, the goalkeeper, signs a new contract until June 2022. So another year for her. And as part of this contract, she's also going to be doing some coaching for the under 16 team. So exciting and good to have someone that's, you know, been around and played a bunch of games and won a bunch of things, helping the younger generation. Yeah. I love when that happens because it allows us to continue that mentality that we've talked about where someone who knows Chelsea through and through can bring that into the younger players. Absolutely. So that's the quick update from the women's site. We did do a trivia in our last episode where we had spoken about uh, Pernile Harder And so the question was, how much did Chelsea pay for her? It was a world record fee uh, last summer. And so the correct answer, once again, from Instagram is Seb Littlewood, who said 300,000 euros, which is absolutely right. So congratulations, Seb. And thanks for engaging with us. Yeah, there's a big gulf in prices paid for players in the women's league and the men's league. Never would have guessed 300,000 euros, but... It is slowly growing, so we're going to continue supporting the Women's League and make sure that these numbers start to get aligned. Absolutely. So that's it, Jackie. We've covered a lot. I'm glad we're back. I'm glad you're back. And we'll be back this uh, later this week to cover the Atletico Madrid game and then uh, talk about the Manchester United game. So some exciting games coming up. Yeah, absolutely. That's going to be an exciting one. So definitely tune in for the next episode. Definitely. So thank you very much for listening. Please continue to subscribe, like, and follow us. It's at the Premier Chels, Apple, Spotify, and Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. And then we're also on Twitter and Instagram. And as always, send us your feedback. Continue to engage with us like you have been. Uh, We'll continue to give some shout outs like we did in this episode. And we'll be back later this week doing a quick Atletico Madrid review and hopefully a win for us in that game, and then a preview for Manchester United. So until then, stay safe and up the Chelsea.